Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different styles, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture associated with wine. Continuing our series of episodes on fortified wine, in this episode we're going to focus on sherry, giving an overview of the great wine, looking at its history, the development of the wine over the centuries, and new trends that have affected the sherry industry in recent years, both good and bad. And then in future episodes, we'll look at how sherry is made, why it tastes like it does, the vineyard, the climate, the grape varieties, and the production methods for sherry. So let's start by looking at the history of sherry. And sherry, the sherry region, is based around the city of Jerez de la Frontera. And this, in, this is Andalusia in southern Spain. And this is a region where wine has been made for the last 3,000 years, making it the oldest continual winemaking region in the world. And so important was wine to this region that when Andalusia was ruled by the Moors from the 700s to the 1400s, special dispensation was given to Cadith wine merchants to allow them to produce a small amount of alcohol because it was so integral to the industry. Elsewhere, the Moorish rule, of course, banned alcohol absolutely. In the 1400s, that Moorish rule ended, and viticulture was revived under Christianity and became central to the region's culture and economy once again. Exports began, but the huge turning point for the Sherry region was 1587, when Sir Francis Drake, the English um, navy leader, raided Cadith, which is a city near Hereth, and took home millions of litres of wine back to England, and he made it the patriotic duty of the English to drink this wine as a celebration of the victory over the Spanish. And at this point, uh, Sherry is mentioned directly by Shakespeare, but through his character Falstaff, where he actually talks about Sherris. And um, the, the wine then was generally called Sack, and Sack would refer not just to the wines of Sherry, but also Malaga, and maybe even the Canary Islands. But he makes that direct connection with Sherry. That's how popular the wine was then. And that continued in the, 16, in the 1600s, and Samuel Pepys, another famous writer, actually visited San Lucar in the mid um, 1600s, when San Lucar actually belonged to the English. But those wars did get in the way of trade, and by the 1700s, port had overtaken sherry in popularity, because the relations between England and Portugal were much more stable and healthier than those between England and Spain. But the industry slowly began to uh, resume in the late 1700s and the early 1800s, and then in the mid 1800s, there was a huge boom in sherry production and sherry consumption. And so by the beginning of the 1800s, there were 8,000 butts of sherry being made a year. By the 1870s, there were 70,000 butts. So a butt is a barrel in sherry, which is 600 litres in size. And that has been used for hundreds of years to store and age sherry, and is still done so today. So to give a couple of examples of how popular sherry was at this time, uh, sherry was mentioned by Dickens, and he even refers to uh, the sherry cobbler, which is one of the first mentions of cocktails in literature, and also to the straw, which um, had never been used before, before the invention of cocktails, and he, he absolutely loved a sherry cobbler. But then also, let's look at the foundation of one of the the great houses of uh, Sherry, Gonzalez Bias. And this was founded in 1835 by Manuel Gonzalez, and he was a local banker who decided there was more money to be made in Sherry than banking, which is something you would certainly not hear today. But he had no idea how to make Sherry, so he turned to his uncle and asked him if he would be his winemaker for him. His uncle said, yes, of course, but only if I can make this um, old-fashioned, unusual, pale style of Sherry. 
because all sherry then was dark and sweet. Manuel Gonzalez agreed, and um, his uncle did such a good job that when they released the pale style of sherry, Gonzalez put Tio Pepe on the label in tribute to his uncle. And that is still one of the great labels of sherry, one of the most recognisable, Tio Pepe. And that also introduced into the market this style of wine, which is now called a fino. No other producers were making it at the time, but now everyone makes a fino, and everyone knows what a fino is. But this boom didn't last, for Loxra hit sherry hard, as it did many other European regions, and as the sherry region was trying to recover, it faced competition from elsewhere in the world with generic brands, with Australia, South Africa and the USA making their own sherry, or calling their wines sherry, which the local market would consume instead of the real thing. So sherry uh, tried to get its act together by forming an organisation to protect the standards and rules of sherry, and then the DO was formed in 1935. And now, of course, sherry within the EU has to come, come within the sherry region. Um, Second World War did not help sherry exports, as you can imagine, but in the 1950s things began to get moving again. And this was through a very important historical figure in the sherry region, Jose Maria Ruiz Mateos. <clears throat> and in the 1950s, he signed a contract with Harvey's, an historic uh, sherry producer, to supply them with all the grapes and wine they needed for 99 years. And this obviously set him up on the scene, gave him um, an instant, a constant source of income, but also suffocated Harvey's to some degree because they were completely dependent on him. And he popularised or helped popularise the Harvey's Bristol Cream, the, pe the cream sherry which is a sweet Oloroso, which was found in most households throughout the 1970s. He established Rumasa in uh, 1961, which by 1983 had 33% of sherry production. And he is a very important figure because of his dominance of the industry at a time when sherry was extremely popular. He modernised the industry a great deal, but he also introduced the practice of price cutting, where quantity became much more important than quality. So though sherry had this huge boom in the 1970s, the quantity just got sorry, the quality just got lower and lower, to the point that it really affected sherry's reputation, which it's still recovering from today. And he actually, uh, well, the company Rumasa was nationalised in 1983, and uh, Ruiz Mateos went into um, posterity with a very negative reputation. So there's been a huge decline in sherry production since the 1980s. In the 1970s, there were 20,000 hectares of plantings in sherry. Now there are 6,800, so it's been reduced by two-thirds, with uh, plantings of vines replaced by cereals and crops. Stocks have been reduced to get supply back in line with demand, and it's been successful in doing that, so there's no longer an oversupply of sherry. And what's also happened is that there's been a lot of new trends to help uh, revive the sherry industry. It's never going to reach the levels of quantity that it once had, nor the popularity that it once had. But So the emphasis is on quality, aiming towards um, enthusiastic, knowledgeable consumers, rather than the average, everyday drinker. So how have these new trends uh, come about? So for instance, we've had um, producers and new producers buying older Soleras from disused bodegas. So for example, Fernando de Castilla and El Maestro Sierra are two examples who have been very successful on a small scale by using not the wines that they've made themselves, but by using older Soleras. And this, this is a huge advantage of the sherry uh, system. With the Solera, there's always old wine in the 
in the background, as it were. So if I wanted to set up um, a wine company in Sherry, I could go around buying Soleras from um, different producers, either established producers or producers who have fallen by the wayside. And then I can blend these Soleras together or just use the Soleras themselves to create my own wine and get my own company up and running straight away. There's also been a, a new dynamism in San Lucar de Barameda. Uh, that's the town which is right by the sea where Manzanilla is made, and a couple of producers in particular have been quite successful, Barbadillo and Hidalgo Lagitana. And you may recognize the Hidalgo Lagitana label because it has a gypsy girl on the label. And that's the focus on Manzanilla. And that goes in with the food friendliness of sherry, which a lot of producers are emphasizing, that these wines should be drunk with food, and Manzanilla in particular with oysters and with seafood and anything salty. And then there's another new producer, Equipo Navazos, who have been buying older butts. So again, the butt being the barrel. So they're not just buying older Solera systems, they're buying individual barrels of wine and bottling them on their own. And this series is called La Bota De, and then it will have um, either a, a number after it or a style. And they've been very successful. It's a very niche, um, more expensive um, style of wine, really aimed at restaurants and uh, sommeliers. And then there's also the trend or the innovation of vintage dated wines. So sherry is of course um, Solera based and so it's always non-vintage. Something like 98-99% of wines are non-vintage. But Gonzalo's Bias have introduced the trend of vintage dated wines by saying this wine is from just one year and it's been aging for years. So you get a wine from 1982 for example. And so this kind of fits in with the common um, appeal of vintages. That's what we're used to with all dry still wine. Um, so that that fits in. People recognise the date and think, oh, this is something that's from one year, it must be very special. And it may, of course, tie in with birth years and with anniversaries. Kind of uh, linked to that is the introduction of the VOS and VORS labelling system. So VOS means very old sherry, and VORS means very old rare sherry. And these are not vintages, but they are um, age or date um, labelled. So VOS is 20 years average age and VORS is 30 years average age and that's a minimum. The wines could be a lot older than that as well. And there is some specificness to this because the authorities have vintage dated, um, carbon dated the Solera system to pinpoint just how old they are exactly whether they're 20 years old or 30 years old. So again it's making the labels more specific for the consumer so they have something to pin onto when they um, look at the label. And that has been successful, again, also in attracting a slightly higher price, but not too high because people only pay so much for sherry. And then another innovation, which again comes from Galas Bias, is the Enrama, which is taking wine directly from the barrel and putting it in the bottle without any filtering. And they introduced this about 10 years ago with Tio Pepe, so Tio Pepe Enrama. And this is released once a year in May, and it'll have the year on the labels. It's not a vintage, but it's the year that the wine has been removed from the barrel. And they will claim that it's the best wine in the Tio Pepe Solera system. And that Solera system is very huge, so they're selecting a small amount of it very carefully for release. And then they say that it must be drunk within three months because it's a young, delicate, not fully formed um, style of Tio Pepe or Fino. And that's a very successful marketing policy because it has a sense of anticipation in being released May each year and that it must be drunk very quickly. So it's very special, it's very unique. So those trends have certainly helped sherry, though of course we must remember it's on a small scale. Sherry production is, is very low compared to what it has been historically, and it's still a niche market, but it's working very hard to get itself into restaurants, linking itself with food, and having some of these innovations to get people uh, drinking the wine once more. 
Uh, one further thing about sherry, and this is true of all the fortified wine regions, uh, brand, brands are very important. So knowing the brands like Gonzalez Bias, which is the largest and still family owned, is important. And then something like Harvey's. And then the smaller producers who are trying to uh, kind of break out of the mold of sherry being a sweet, dark wine, like Fernando de Castilla or Barbadillo or Equipo Navazos, who are certainly very uh, special in the st styles of wine they are making. So, thank you for listening. In the future episodes, we'll be looking at how sherry is made and where it comes from and why it tastes like it does. I'm Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.